Good morning, church. It is a joy to be with you all this morning. You know, uh, people share lots of different things. People share a lot of different things. I, I was married to a an incredible woman, but she actually shares the birthday of another incredible woman. My wife, Kirsten, was born on August 22nd, 19... <clears throat> and my mom... <clears throat> My mom was also born on August the 22nd. So it makes, it, it makes my life easier that my bride and my mom share the same birthday. The, the New York Times published in 2006 a graph uh, that was organized by a Harvard University researcher who was interested in figuring out the most commonly shared birthday. What he actually found, and he grouped all the babies born from 1973 to 1999 worldwide that he could find records for. Most commonly shared date of birth is September the 16th. Do we have any September the 16th birthdays in here by a show of hands? Come on, in a crowd this size, there's surely got to be one. We had two in the first service. Do we have one? We got a guy. All right. We got somebody. Okay. There was a billionaire, also reported by the New York Times, that uh, has made over $7 billion. Uh, his, his name is Chuck Feeney. His intent is to share 100% of his wealth. His philosophy, giving while living, is one that compels him, literally, to give away everything he owns. His hope is that he would, he, he would have completely extinguished his wealth... Before he dies. In my house, we've got little kids and we're teaching them to share. We've got a seven, a five, and a three-year-old. And so it's almost constant that we're asking one of our kids to share something with another. And usually the issue is our children have something that the other child wants and they're unwilling to share. And in our lives so often we've got almost a similar philosophy to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have something... That everyone else needs, whether they know it or not. And sometimes it's hard for us to share. Our mission statement here at WFR Church is to love God, to love others, and to share Jesus. In Colossians chapter 4, turn with me there if you would this morning in your Bibles. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives us some very pointed instruction in how to share The good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians, we're going to start in chapter 4 and verse 2. The Bible says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The first thing the apostle talks about is the actual proclamation of the good news. There comes a point in every Christian's life where we are going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. Paul's first request 
is that his audience in the Colossian church would pray for themselves, that, that they would devote themselves to prayer and that they would be watchful, that they would have open eyes. And our prayer today should be the same. Lord, let us have eyes that are open to the opportunities that you are setting before us that afford us the chance to share the greatest news in the history of the world. The news of Jesus Christ. In the year 2000, some men had their eyes closed as to the opportunity right in front of their faces. In 2000, the Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, was worried his company might not survive. It was a fledgling company started by renting DVDs to its subscribers in the mail. And at this point in Netflix growth, they needed a new avenue to pursue to continue the company's progress. Reed Hastings, Netflix CEO, petitioned the then CEO of Blockbuster with an opportunity to purchase Netflix for a cool 50 million dollars. Hastings would later say about the meeting that he was literally laughed out of the room. Approximately 13 years after the meeting, Blockbuster closed its last store and Netflix had an estimated value of 19.7 billion dollars. So often in life, opportunities are literally right in front of our face. They're right in front of our eyes. We simply don't have eyes to see. The Apostle Paul's mandate for you would be, you need to pray and to be watchful. Prepare yourself to have open eyes. And pray for open doors, literally, that doors would open and give you the opportunity to share. That you can see the opportunity and that you're bold enough to seize it as it presents itself. Let's be honest, simply walking through the open doors of evangelism that God has put in our lives, for most of us is not easy. There's a couple of reasons for this. I think high on the list is that a person would have unresolved and unrepented for sin in their lives. Some of us are allowing ourselves a, a dark area in life in which sin resides, that the enemy has a foothold where we take a spiritual vacation, and allow our flesh to manifest sinful behavior, hoping that no one notices. And then God positions us in a unique way, such that a door opens to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and because we're spiritually inadequate as a result of the sin in our life that we haven't turned away from and surrendered to Jesus Christ, we are rendered useless in God's kingdom. If there's a sin in your life this morning that you need to surrender so that you can be more bold in your proclamation of the good news of Jesus, my prayer is that you will surrender that to an all-powerful, almighty God who will happily take it from you. Others of you don't have an unrepented for sin in your life, but you have a lot of insecurity about your own ability to effectively share the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have a theological degree. Maybe you're new in Christ. Maybe the people in your life are only new acquaintances. For whatever reason, based on your your past, there is a sense within you of your own inadequacy to effectively share the good news of Jesus. Friend, let me tell you, each and every person under the sound of my voice is inadequate to share the good news. 
outside of the Holy Spirit's power. And most work done in evangelism happens between the words of the evangelist, between the time that the words of the evangelist leave the evangelist's mouth and fall on the ears of his hearers. For that's when the Holy Spirit adds power, credibility, and transformational quality to the message of Jesus. If you're insecure about your own ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, my prayer for you this morning is that you would surrender that to a God who can empower you to transform the entire world. For some of us, it's fear of being rejected. Trent, I don't have unrepented for sin, and there's a measure of security within me, but I've just been so unsuccessful, I don't think I can deal with another rejection. I often quote a study that I read a number of years back that it takes eight helping professionals to transform any one life. And you simply cannot see from God's perspective where you fit in the journeys of the people that you try to connect with. Some of you have consistently been the seventh man. You haven't gotten to see the beginning transformation and you won't get to see the end. But without you, lives wouldn't change. If you have a sense of fear at your capacity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're worried about being rejected, let me reassure you that God is going to accept you every single time. He is for you, not against you, and He is greater than anything you come up against. There is no need to fear. Surrender it to a God who is above everything and can do all things The next piece of this uh, scripture that the Apostle Paul talks about is not just that we should boldly proclaim, but in fact, it's almost an obligation. He says, pray that I might even proclaim it clearly as I should. And that's the phrase that we would say, this is obligatory for the Christian. We don't have an option. Simply the Apostle Paul makes it clear he should be about the business of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And he shouldn't let uh, sin or his own insecurity or fear of rejection stop him from doing that which he should do. And neither should you. And the Apostle Paul says something here really importantly about how we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He says it should be clear. A clear message is a simple message. And friend, the gospel is so simple that an almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God looked down into humanity and realized they needed a Savior. And God became incarnate, took on human form, and lived a sinless, spotless life so that His sacrifice for our sin would be an effective offering to God for the redemption of mankind. And God has then allowed the Son to dwell at His right hand and wait for the appointed time when He'll return and call His church home. It's the death, burial, resurrection, and second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're a gospel-centered church because there is nothing so central to life as the gospel. And so often, something that is simple is also not easy. I'm reminded of the words Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You remember the story. 
A woman who was in adultery at the time she encounters Jesus at the well had actually been married a number of times before and was at the well in the middle of the day because she hoped she wouldn't run into anyone that would notice her sinful life or her depravity or her past. And while she's drawn to the well seeking to satisfy a physical hunger or thirst, Jesus offers her something much more powerful and lasting. He says in John chapter 4 and verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In life, the solution to our problems is often so simple. That solution is Jesus Christ. But it's not easy in the moment of thirst or hunger or bad news from a doctor or a filing of divorce or an abortion or depression to really seek after that which is not of this world as the solution for things that are. And so many of us are in the position of the woman at the well. There is something carnal and physical that we need. And the simple, obvious solution is Jesus. But we find it so hard to really surrender in those moments And sees what he has planned for us. The Apostle Paul would say, make sure it's simple. Make sure your message is simple. And that you deliver the good news with clarity. Not only would he say, you need to make the message simple, but you need to make the message right. So often God leads people into our lives and we assume responsibility for their transformation and development rather than directing them to God. It's almost as though the Holy Spirit wanted the church at Colossian, the Colossian church to know this. For earlier in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you're doing it unto the Lord. You don't take credit. That's how to make the message right. This is about Jesus. It's about the power of the Spirit, not the power of man. It's about a God who is sovereign, not a man who is sin sick. Some things that you can do to help make sure that you connect people in the right way with the right message of simplicity for the gospel. First is to know your audience. The first thing you can do to send the right message in a clear way and not make it about you is to know your audience. This means to know your audience both relationally and intellectually. I had the chance to do some missions work in India. And on the really, 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 really really, really, extremely, really, really long plane ride that was really long (laughs) to get there. My traveling companions were helping me understand the idea of the Hindu mind. Because to adequately connect with people in a way that clearly demonstrates the beauty and power of the gospel, I need to say it, I needed to say it in the right way, a way that applied, a way that they could understand. So I had to know their intellect. But then the whole purpose of the trip was to build relationships with people where they were at. That's what knowing your audience is about. To connect on both a relational and intellectual level. Not only do you need to know your audience, you need to know the topic. You need to know the gospel. You need to learn about Jesus Christ. You need to study the scriptures. You need to devote yourself to fasting and to prayer. And your lifestyle should be a lifestyle that demonstrates that you do in fact know Jesus Christ. So often we get people in our path 
and we develop relationships with them and we know them, but they can't hear what we say because our actions are telling them something different about us. We also shouldn't lecture people when we present the good news of Jesus Christ in the right way. I can remember two professors I had in college really, really well, not because they were good orators, but because they were really, really bad. One of these professors was in an analytical chemistry class. You can see, based on my choice of profession, how effective that teacher was in teaching me chemistry, right? Or how effective I was in actually learning what I was supposed to learn. This, this professor assumed that the words he was using I would automatically understand. To this day, I'm still having trouble uncovering what a reduction-oxidation reaction actually is. Those words were foreign to me. I had another professor that talked in a monotone voice right when he got into class. He would never change his tone. He rarely changed his cadence. He would say, students, turn to page 247, start on the second paragraph. Someone please give me some insight as to your reaction on what this author's intent was. Is he... And, and the, really, the, the reason why we liked the class is because it was the best two-and-a-half-hour nap any of us would get all week long. We want to lecture so often when we spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Let's say later today, somebody who was well-to-do and had lots of money came up to you and said, Friend, I, you don't know me, but I want to tell you something. I have just built my dream home. It's worth a million dollars. It's on the bayou. It overlooks the water. You can see the sunset and the sunrise. Every single detail in this house has been meticulously considered. And I decided today, and it's paid for, by the way, I decided today that I want to give it to you. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to pay the property taxes, maintenance, and general upkeep on the home for the rest of your entire life. As you walked around the community telling people about this good news that you'd been given such a valuable gift, you'd be excited. You'd make it pretty plain, although I'm sure some of the words would be unintelligible as a result of your extreme excitement. And God's given us a gift much greater even than that. There is actually a mansion in store for each of us. And how do we, when we say the gospel, it's like, well, hey, you know, thanks for checking me out today. Jesus loves you. And I check my obligation of proclamation off the list for that week. I don't know somebody relationally. I don't even know where they're at intellectually. And I wasn't excited as I shared the good news. Find a way to disclose to people such that you're not lecturing. Check for comprehension. Fourth thing and fifth thing, adjust your delivery until it works. Don't just make one attempt and then relinquish. I'll share you a story with my wife. Uh, We had five dates before she really opened up to me. In one of those dates, I wrecked my car. In another date, I actually fell down the stairs in a date. In another one of those dates, I pulled the front door handle to her grandparents' door off in my hand. <clears throat> None of those things caused me to relent. There's nothing, and I, and I mean this with all sincerity, and she'll... she'll Confirm, there is nothing that could have dissuaded me or distracted me from pursuing her. And so often it's the first fumble or the first mishap or the first question that we can't answer that causes us to retreat from really connecting with people and sharing. Check and make sure they understand what you're telling them and then adjust your delivery until it works. 
The last part of our scripture today, the Apostle Paul talks about how to have that kind of conversation. In the fifth and sixth verse, he puts it like this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He wants you, in these remaining moments, to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. To leave everything on the field and to be the agent of change in your community that is desperately needed. You know, leaving it, living it out is all about wisdom for me. If you're going to really live out the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to live as a wise man or a wise woman. If you were to do a, a quick word search in scripture for the word wisdom, a name that would be associated with wisdom consistently throughout certain portions of scripture is the name Solomon. Solomon's one of the wisest men in the history of the world. He actually, though, didn't come from a family of origin that you would assume produces wise children. Let me give you some background. Solomon had six older half-brothers, all from different mothers. Solomon's own mom was married to a man that Solomon's father had killed so that Solomon's father could marry his mother. There was murder, betrayal, sexual addiction, and deceit in Solomon's family of origin. Yet this guy becomes one of the wisest men of all time. How is that possible? How can God take a broken, messed up, beat up guy and set him in a place of leadership and wisdom? Two reasons. First, Solomon asked God for it. Solomon went to God and said, God, look... I see all this junk that my family's gone through. I want to avoid it. Would you make me wise as I try to rule your people? And God says, thank you for asking. I'll make you wise. And I have to think the second reason there is because Solomon learned from the mistakes of others. Some of us have used that colloquialism. I want to learn from my mistakes. No, you don't. You don't want to learn from your own mistakes. You want to learn from the mistakes of everybody else. Solomon likely collected his proverbial sayings and, and tidbits of wisdom over time, at least in part, to help him avoid making some of the mistakes made by his family of origin. You have to live in that manner too. You've got to seek the scriptures for wisdom. And then you've got to apply what you learn. That's what wisdom actually is. It's application of knowledge. And if you'll live in that way and you'll conduct yourself in a way in accordance with Scripture, God will open doors for you. You'll have opportunities to share. And if you'll trust in Him, He'll be successful. Not only do you need to live a wise life, you need to leave every ounce of effort all on the field. Have you ever heard that before? Most of us who have grown up doing athletics have had a coach at one time that to fire us up at halftime, says, all right, guys, we're going to go in there, and I want you to leave it all on the field. Today really is the day. We've got to stand up and fight, and if we fight, I believe we can win, and we're going to win if we'll just leave it on the field. That's, how, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. He's saying, make the most of every opportunity. Leave it all on the field. Don't act as though in this life you can hold anything back and seize the life that God intends for you to have. He's saying give everything. Leave nothing on the field. 
You need to Google later today the name Kayla Montgomery. Kayla Montgomery. She's a resident of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and she is an award-winning long-distance runner. Something interesting about Kayla, however, is that she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at the age of 14. Despite this diagnosis, she went on to win the North Carolina Cross-Country Championships her senior year of high school, breaking her school record and setting a new record of 17 minutes and 36 seconds for a five-kilometer run. That's 3.2 miles. As a result of her multiple sclerosis, however, Kayla loses feelings in her legs when her body temperature reaches a certain level. Thus, when she slows down, she literally collapses. So at the finish line of each of her races, her coach has to literally be prepared to catch her as she falls into his or her arms, having left literally everything on the track. That's what kind of a Christian that I want to be. I want to be a leave it all on the field kind of Christian. I want to get to heaven and I want to look Jesus in the face and I want to thank Lord Jesus, you held nothing back from me. You left everything on the field. You lived a perfect sinless life. You died a death you didn't deserve to die and you were obedient to God even if it meant death. And the least I can do is be a leave it all on the field Christian. That's what I want to be when I get to heaven, man. I don't want to be a guy who's held back his very best out of insecurity or fear or sin. Man, I want to leave it all. Jesus gave his all for me. How could I not want to leave it all for him? But you know, some of us really are living that kind of a life. And, and one of the things I love about WFR Church And if you're listening online and you haven't been able to get immersed physically here in our church community, we have a lot of men and women who were these kinds of Christians, who were leave it all on the field kinds of Christians, that have absolutely given every day of most of their lives for the betterment of God's people and to spread and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's young guys like me that get to come into a great place like this and stand on the shoulders of those kind of men and do what I love to do. And there are some of you that are following and imitating the leadership of those guys that we are so fortunate and blessed to have around here. But you're not having the same impact because you don't use grace in your message of truth. In this, in this passage, the Apostle Paul says, you need to let your conversation be always full of grace. Not sometimes or mostly, but always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's being the gospel. The gospel is a grace-filled message. Salt is actually a preservative. In, in about a hundred years ago, if what you were eating didn't have salt, it had better be fresh. Or you could bet that it had started to decay. That's, that's Paul's intent here is to say, you know what, sir, you know what, ma'am? If your message of the truth of Jesus Christ is not presented in grace, it starts to decay the second it leaves your lips. No wonder it falls on deaf ears. In John chapter 1, John the Revelator, the writer of John's gospel, describes Jesus Christ this way. He was the Word. He became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory 
The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And without a coupling of each, we're ineffective. And we can't leave it on the field. And we can't go about fulfilling the mission of the Great Commission. Because our message starts to decay. I hope that after this series you've understood the the mission statement here at WFR. It is to love God to love others and to share Jesus. Here's the secret. This is the reason you've been created. Have you, have you ever wondered what my purpose in life was? Why am I here? What, what should I be doing to really live my purpose? You need to love God. You need to love others. And you need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If there is a need in your life, if you've never been baptized into Christ, or there's a burden that you would like your forever family to help you carry, please stand while we sing and bring that forward this morning.